Hello everyone, Krista and Hannah here with a brief message before we start the episode. We are on the third season of Keys to Music Learning and we have loved every second. Talking about audiation-based piano instruction is a passion of ours, if you couldn't tell, and we thank you for listening and keeping us going. We recently launched the Keys to Music Learning community. Similar to Patreon, this is a way to support the podcast and access bonuses, such as opportunities to attend podcast recordings and monthly meetings so you can pick our brains with your questions, share your successes, and connect with other teachers. Become a silent partner for only $3 a month or, to access the bonuses, a friend of the podcast for $5 a month. Join today at musiclearningacademy.com slash keys to music learning community. The link will be in our show notes. Thank you all for listening and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Keys to Music Learning. I'm Krista Yadro, owner of Music Learning Academy. And I'm Hannah Mayo of Hannah Mayo Music. Join us as we discuss common goals and challenges in the piano studio and offer research-based ideas and solutions to guide every one of your students to reach their full musical potential with audiation. We have officially reached another key to music learning, sequencing. Today, Krista is going to focus on the process of learning music, the sequence that brings us and our students through listening, performing, improvising, reading, and writing music with understanding. Hello, everyone. So last week, Hannah talked about the importance of sequencing in her piano studio and how knowledge of sequencing activities really is vital for developing audiation, supporting our students' success, and alleviating frustration for all. So today we're going to take a step back and look at the big picture of music learning theory to answer this question. How does one learn music? My favorite way to describe this is to compare the process of music learning with language learning. So let's do it. When learning language, five vocabularies are developed. Listening, speaking, thinking, conversing, reading, and writing. The listening vocabulary is the foundation of language learning and, for a native language, begins as soon as a child can hear, in utero. And it's all about absorption. The process begins when one hears the sounds of the language and the inflection of the speaking voice. Eventually, they develop the ability to identify and discriminate sounds to build a listening vocabulary of words. Not individual letters or sounds, a vocabulary of words. For example, a child may first learn a word that is frequently used for something that they need, such as bottle or milk. Once they're able to identify that word and hear it when someone is speaking, they now know where the previous word ends and the next word begins and the process continues. Now, when a child is born, the exploration of sounds also begins, and we call this babbling, the beginning of the speaking vocabulary. As they begin to discriminate the sounds they hear, they begin to imitate. These sound invitations first have no meaning, but eventually, however, children naturally break the code of language and begin to put those sounds together into words. It's important to remember that there is not a set stage for this to happen. Children develop at different rates. 
My daughter started talking at nine months, my son at 18 months. Neither of them stop talking now. (laughs) My ears don't get a break. (laughs) They are both following the process, but at their own pace. The third vocabulary is thinking and conversing. And now in this context, thought is the cognitive process that gives meaning to words that are heard, spoken, communicated, read, or written. So now we're attaching meaning to the words and we're using them for communication, for understanding what is being said to us, for communicating our own wants and needs, to read stories or to write poetry. And conversing is communicating with the words. So my son, Nico, he was the late talker. He could understand what was being said to him for some time. We taught him a few signs so that he could communicate with us as his language developed. And then around 18 months, he started consistently imitating animal sounds, labeling actions, toys, food, anything with wheels, really, and saying the letters of the alphabets. It wasn't until around 24 months that he started telling us what he wanted. Milk, snack, walk, trains, car, up, down. And at first, this conversing was very short, right? There are one-word commands to tell us what he wants. But this grew. It grew fast. And it also grew more complex. And it is still growing more complex. Now he's three and a half years old. He's using complete sentences to communicate with a vocabulary that is growing every day. My daughter, Lucy, she followed the same process, only she started at nine months with the word kitty cat. That was her first word. And she was talking in sentences by 20 months. Yeah, I think it is so important and that it's going to be different for every child. It's important to remember that. I also want to add that what you're describing is a process that is guided, not Mm -hmm. formally taught. Yeah. And children learn to communicate in an environment that is filled with language and interaction. And eventually they learn more formally about their language, but this cannot be done without learning to speak at first. Exactly. So just like reading and writing, students can't read and write with understanding unless they have a solid foundation of listening, speaking, thinking, and conversing, forming a rich vocabulary of words that are understood and used. Without this vocabulary, reading and writing are going to be severely limited and cannot be met with an ease of comprehension. Informally, those final vocabularies, the reading and writing vocabularies, they're going to begin early, right? We're going to be reading them books. Sometimes children pretend to write. They're bringing awareness to letters, and I bring awareness to sight words in print when I'm reading with with my little ones. Formally, learning to read and write, though, begins after years of developing those first three vocabularies. So important. Mm -hmm. It's, It's important to remember that the process of reading and writing language is also dependent on the child. Some children start to read naturally with very little guidance, maybe at five or six or even sooner. Others need more time and more guidance, and that is okay. Absolutely. So that was our process of language learning. Let's talk about the process of music learning. And as you're listening, remember that word, process. Hannah and I have said it a bunch of times already. This sequence is a process that develops audiation. 
that develops understanding of music. Just like language learning, music learning has five vocabularies, listening, performing instead of speaking, audiating, improvising instead of thinking, conversing, and then reading and writing. And listening is the foundation of music learning. This vocabulary develops when one absorbs the sounds of music, the sounds of the singing voice, inflections of rhythmic chanting, tonal and rhythm contexts, and also harmonies. And it's best developed in a rich musical environment that includes live singing and chanting in multiple tonalities and meters for contrast, repetition, tonal and rhythm patterns, and movement. This gives one the opportunity to discriminate sounds and start to form a vocabulary of tonal and rhythm patterns. Remember in language, we don't form a vocabulary of individual letters and sounds. We develop a vocabulary of words. In music, we don't develop a vocabulary of individual notes or intervals. We develop a vocabulary of rhythm patterns and a vocabulary of tonal patterns. Patterns are the words of music and are necessary for audiation development. And you know me, I'm all about those patterns. <laughs> patterns are the reason I'm here right now. Patterns <laughs> actually change the way I hear, perform, and read music. And I hear and see them very easily. And it's like my brain just knows what to do to braid my rhythm and tonal vocabularies together when I'm reading new music or listening to music or sitting down to play what I hear. Just like it works in our brains when we're reading a new book or conversing with someone. It is truly amazing what patterns can do. And really, it's never too late to go through the sequence and learn to audiate. So now similar to the speaking vocabulary of language, the performing vocabulary in music, which can be singing, chanting, playing an instrument, begins with exploration and babbling. One may vocalize pitches or short rhythms or durations with random syllables or sounds as they explore the content of music. On the piano, our beginners will want and need to explore the sounds the instrument makes and just the feel of playing different keys. We can call that piano babble, right? Eventually, this babble will begin to imitate the sounds of the music that the child is exposed to, and naturally, they will break the code and begin to sing, chant, and play patterns, remember the words of music, more accurately and eventually with musical meeting and coordination. Which brings us to the ever-so-important audiating, improvising vocabulary. Audiation is to music what thought is to language. As I discussed previously, it's the cognitive process that gives meaning to music that is heard, performed, created, read, or written. The ability to improvise not only demonstrates one understanding of music, but cements what one has learned. Improvising allows one to use the musical patterns accumulated in the listening and the performing vocabularies for expression. Improvisation begins very simply, dialoguing with a teacher, singing a tonal pattern, chanting a rhythm pattern, or improvising with a short rhythm pattern on the piano. However, just as in language, it develops over time as the listening and performing vocabularies grow. Children should be encouraged to be creative and to explore the synthesis of musical sounds. Now, before I talk about the last two vocabularies, reading and writing, I want to share a few audio examples of my children progressing from babble 
through audiating improvisation. First, I have some babble from three-month-old Nico. Seems like so long ago. So now a podcast is limiting. Um, Unfortunately, you won't see the amazing movement and the cute smile responses to the music, but you will hear beautiful vocal responses as we play with patterns together. And the song that you're going to hear me sing is actually from Marilyn Lowe's keyboard games called My Snowman. I just love that clip and I love how his random responses, because he's only three months old there, they are random responses, but it ends with him singing, ah, I know, ah, and the resting tone. And I just love it. My heart melts when I, when I watch that video. Yes. And I love the way that you're uh, validating his babble by doing what he does by imitating him. Yes, that's so important. And we do that in language too, right? So when a child is developing language and you're outside playing and they're pointing to an airplane in the sky and maybe they can't say that word airplane yet, right? But it's in their listening vocabulary. They know what it is and they might be pointing and saying, ah, ah, ah. And you're saying, oh yes, it's an airplane. Do you see that airplane in the sky? That's so wonderful. You see that airplane. So you're right. Using the patterns and playing with those patterns to dialogue and improvise and just to make music together. Validating is such a great word for that. Yes. I love the parallels. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? I'll add that video to the show notes so that the listeners can see his movement responses and exactly which vocal responses were his because they are, it is such an amazing clip to watch. So adorable. So now in the second clip, I'm going to be doing some of that same validation, right? That music dialogue that we do with children. And now though, in this clip, Nico is three and a half years old and that's what he is now. He's three and a half and he's in a uh, stage that we call imitation. He's imitating major tonal patterns in this clip and he's getting more and more accurate in his responses, but he definitely still lacks consistency And also, he's not coordinating his breath yet when he's singing um, tonal patterns. And even when we're chanting together, he's not coordinating his breath just yet. Can you sing? Bum 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 b
So definitely imitating my patterns. And some he did a, a, at one point there, he did a major tonic pattern that was actually different than mine, which was really exciting to hear. Still in the context though. Yes, exactly. So, and he's still very much exploring his voice at that one point. He went really high and, um, but I'm just glad he's doing patterns with me because there was a good like six months where all I heard was mommy, no singing. So... (laughs) I'm just glad these kinds of, of clips, they just thrill me nowadays that, uh, that he'll sing. He actually does the most music when I'm musicking with his big sister, Lucy, when we're sitting together at the piano and he's just coloring or drawing, or when Lucy's playing the guitar and we're singing folk songs together, those are the times when he actually participates the most because it's just in the environment. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of where teachers get a little bit scared sometimes when they start thinking about using this approach that a lot of learning happens without it looking like there's anything happening. You know, all, mm-hmm. a lot of that informal learning uh, it doesn't look like anything's happening, but so much is happening because of their environment of sound. Yes. And I see this so much with how Nico is progressing in his music development. I also see it a lot with how Lucy progresses in her music development just by listening to me teach other students Mm -hmm. and how she absorbs the patterns that we're doing and the songs that we're doing. And I hear my whole family actually singing those songs and echoing the patterns that I'm teaching in the other room. Yeah, that early informal acculturation is so important. Absolutely. So just speaking of Lucy, this third clip is actually Lucy. She's two in this clip. She's almost three years old and she's improvising in major tonality. So remember when I said this is a process and all children develop differently? Well, Lucy developed her understanding of tonal and rhythm syntax a bit quicker than Nico. La, 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 la. came out of her and I one day uh, sitting at the computer and I had GarageBand open and we were just having fun making up all these different melodies and singing back and forth and listening to uh, the clips after we were we were done with them. And I've played this clip for a lot of people actually, because this was a few years ago. And a lot of people ask, well, she's so young. How did, how does she know to end on the resting tone? Or how does she know how long to make her phrases? Or how does she know, you know, when you ended on a dominant to bring it to the tonic? Or how did she know what to sing? And it's through 
informal guidance. It's through these patterns. It's through giving her lots of different tonalities and meters and just songs and chants. And her vocabulary, listening vocabulary, was very extensive at that age. She was really developing an understanding of musical syntax. So now this final clip is five-and-a-half-year-old Lucy. So about two-and-a-half years after clip number three. And she's improvising in Aeolian and Duplometer. So I want you to notice how her patterns in this coming clip are more complex than before. Her vocabulary really grew immensely, and she was able to use more patterns and functions to express herself. Number different. Thank you, Lucy. Oh, there we go. I go. And I love how she ends on an upbeat pattern there. Oh, yeah, that was... <laughs> I was impressed by that. <laughs> right? And it's not like we've done upbeat patterns really with at that point with our um, pattern instruction, but she picks things up, right, from right. other songs and other chants that we've moved to and that we've sung in class before. And then she can use those patterns to express herself as well. Right. I never saw kids make their own connections more than I did after patterns. <laughs> and it's thrilling, it right? Is. Every it's time amazing. it's like... <laughs> So you may be thinking like, wow, Lucy can improvise in different tonalities and meters. She must be ready to read and write. Well, not so fast. (laughs) Yes, she's just demonstrating, right, understanding of the syntax of our music, but she doesn't know what she's audiating yet. So in language, we can use our senses to label our surroundings and to talk about it. So I'm speaking into a microphone. I'm looking at my computer. I might be smelling a candle or holding a pen. In music, ideally, we need to sing in tune, echo rhythm and tonal patterns with accuracy and coordination, and keep a steady beat before we can then label the music and organize what we are audiating. Are we hearing, playing, or improvising with major tonality, tonic or dominant patterns, duple meter, division patterns? These labels are all taught during formal instruction. We teach the labels, and then they use these patterns for performing, for improvising, for creating. And then once they understand what they're musicking, we can then begin to teach reading and writing with understanding. Now, informal reading and writing of music can begin early, just like in language. We want students to see what music looks like, what music notation looks like. Nico loves when he sees music notes. He's always pointing them out when he sees them places. And Lucy began to draw them when she was three or four. 
Now, Lucy isn't reading or writing formally yet. She's seven years old now. However, we look at notation. We identify the directions of the notes, uh, whether she sees any same or different rhythm patterns. She just started playing scales. And whenever we learn a new one, we look at the key signature that tells her what do is. Now, I don't quiz her on this stuff. We look, we notice. It might take a minute or two. We look for examples in music, and then we move on. My goal is audiation. This is all wonderful preparation for learning to read and write music, but it cannot be rushed. When one has a solid listening foundation, can sing, chant, play an instrument, and improvise with proficiency, and can also think abstractly around age 10 or 11, they can begin the formal reading and writing process. Now, I bet a few of you just gasped and thought, what? No reading and writing until 10 or 11 years old? And this is one aspect of audiation-based lessons that takes people aback. Mm -hmm. I'll admit it. (laughs) This part takes a little bit of trust and a whole lot of patience. But if you do it, it will happen. The reading and writing will happen so much more naturally. If you follow the sequence, it will happen with a lot more success. It won't always be perfect, but it'll be way less frustrating than mm-hmm. trying to start with notation. And where so many quids, ki- uh, so many kids quit piano around age nine or ten, those that learn with this sequence are far more likely to stick with it. Absolutely. And we are going to dive deeper into this in the future, I promise. Yes, much deeper. Thank you, Krista, for a great exploration of the music learning theory sequence. If you want to learn more, I encourage you to join our Facebook group, Introduction to Audiation-Based Piano Instruction and Music Moves for Piano, where we discuss these topics in more depth. And we will be sure to add the link to our show notes on the podcast website, musiclearningacademy.com slash keys to music learning. We look forward to seeing you all next week. Thanks so much, and we'll see you soon.